Well, good morning. Chapter 7 of Ecclesiastes. If a visitor came in here this morning for the very first time, I would tell him these people do love each other, they just don't want to sit by each other. The 12 tribes scattered abroad at PBC. Chapter 7. Change the style a bit, verses 1 through verse really about through verse 13, 14, back to these short statements that are Proverbs, like Proverbs, wisdom statements that we looked at verses 1 through 8, or at least tried to last week. A lot of things that are better for us, remember that? And some of those are hard for us, but better for us likewise. So let's uh, pray. And thank the Lord for you being able to be here this morning. If I had one person here, it would be one person more than I deserve to hear me. But it's not me, it's the Word of God. That's why we're here, amen? amen? We're here because of the Word and the value in our lives. So we thank you for giving us your Word. And it reveals the past, the present, and what's coming. Um, your complete pa- uh, complete plan from creation to consummation, and we're in it. We're made in your image. You've made yourself known to us. I I ask that that could be true of every person here this morning that's with confidence based upon the promises of God to be able to say, if I know anything today, I know that God has saved me through the gift of his Son and my receiving Christ as my own, my own personal Savior that has died in my place for my sin. And I am called by your word to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are called from justification into sanctification. And we're going to anticipate glorification one day, but we're not there yet. In the meantime, we are to press on to holiness. And we have a task given to us, and that is to grow in this glorious gospel and to be bold in propagating it to a lost world. We thank those who gave the gospel to us, who lived the gospel, who proclaimed the gospel, and shared the gospel with us and called us, acknowledged, helped us see our, our, our lostness, our sin, and the need of a Savior. We thank you for those people in our lives that live the gospel and proclaim the gospel. And thank you for grace and allowing us to hear it and receive it. Now bless our time together this morning for your glory and for the benefit of your church. And we pray this in Christ's name. And everyone would say, amen. Amen. We have a different car, and it's got a lot of bells and whistles on it, and I'm continuing to find out what different buttons do. Um, A lot of things on it I like, some things I don't care about, but particular things that I really like about this car. And I think Deborah could tell you immediately. What I like about this car is that it has these on the exterior mirrors. You know, the two front door, the mirrors on the outside there. In the corner of those mirrors, it has little about the size of a, maybe a silver dollar, a little round orange, red, little light that goes on. When I'm driving and another car comes up, Uh, beside me, and about from the time that it's close to my bumper, 
that little light goes on and it flashes and it tells me lots of times if you're not driving carefully, and we sure all ought to do that, we, we may not be looking as much as we ought to, and there, there can be, if we're not driving real careful, kind of a blind spot right there. Are you with me? And what I love about this car is that it tells me that there's a, there's a car right there all the way up to being right, right next to me. That way, Deborah doesn't need to yell. The light goes on and tells me that there is a car there. It helps me be protected. Now look with me at the beginning of verse 12, and that's what I am seeking to convey to us, among other things, probably the wrong way, there we go, this morning. How does it begin in verse 12? What is wisdom among other things? What is it for us? It's our protection. It's our protection. What is life? Life is a matter of choices. And all of us, particularly the older that we are, the more we realize there's been choices that we made that we regret those choices. And God tells us in his word that wisdom will protect us because the purpose of wisdom is to guide us in making right choices, in making the kind of choices that are consistent with the word of God that are best for us and most, most honor him. So that's what wisdom is. It, it, it is it's like those, like those mirrors, except wisdom doesn't just help us be protected. Wisdom is our protection. And it protects us from the foolishness of, of life, the fool in, in the Proverbs. And that's why we would read repeatedly, I've chosen different ones from the Proverbs to just Notice how the Spirit of God is crying out to us as to the significance of gaining wisdom. Proverbs 3, it's on the overhead. But let me just read it. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For her profit is better than the profit of silver, and her gain is better than fine gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire compares with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who hold her fast. Then a little farther in the same chapter, just again, driving it home to us. Then you will walk in your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden fear nor of the onslaught of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord, the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. What a protection that we have. And so that reminds us, those verses, why wisdom is so valuable, the impact that it has in our life. Now, in verses 9 and following and the rest of the chapter, Lord willing, uh, this morning, we're going to see how wisdom is a form of conveying to us, presents to us, uh, of things that are better. We've seen that. Um, like in verse 5, it is better. It is better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than one who listens to the song of fools. We wouldn't choose that, but it's better for us when it is uh, 
to be intended for our benefit. And then we've seen also wisdom is in the form of warnings. How do you get that, Pastor? Look at verse 9, the beginning of it. Do not. Beginning of verse 10, do not. Verse 16, do not. Verse 17, do not. Wisdom is not only do this, it's also beware of this. Warnings. Aren't you thankful if you had parents who warned you? Amen? Warnings for us likewise. And then wisdom is also not only in the form of things that are better in this section and warnings to us, but also just general truths of life. So in verse 9, we have one of those warnings. Do not be eager in your heart to be angry, for anger resides in the bosom of fools. I was reading the ESV in that. How, how, somebody read the beginning of the ESV in verse 9. Brock, do you have it? Who has the ESV? Real loud, Marshall. Be not quick in your spirit. Ah, hear that? Quick in your spirit. Be angry. All of us know James 1.19, don't we? Not a lot of head movement right there. Most of you do. Let everyone be quick to, slow to, and slow to. Why? For the anger of man does not achieve what? The righteousness of God. Yeah. And you might say this morning that you don't uh, get angry, okay? But what I would assign to you this morning is to take Ephesians 4.31. And notice there is no less than six different words describing six different sinful manifestations of anger. And if you're like me, you probably would say, yes, I fit into more than one of those that I have experienced in this life. So do not... Do not. Wisdom helps us in that area. And sinful anger, then, we remember, is a manifestation of my pride. And according to this verse, it is characteristic of the fool. Let me ask you this morning, in the area of sinful anger, has it ever accomplished any good for you or others? Sinful anger. There's a righteous form. We could study that in Ephesians. That righteous form of anger stirs you up to do something that is consistent with the will of God. But that's not our problem, is it? So here we have wisdom again to just consider how our pride may surface in that particular aspect of our life. I've been reading through Second Chronicles. I'm almost done. But because I'm reading there, you have to turn to Second Chronicles 26. Second Chronicles 26. And here's the thing. The more responsibility and the more God is good in our life, the more oftentimes we can get proud about it. And as pride surfaces, then we want to have our way in life. And when we don't get our way, it's easy to be, to, to be angry. And we see that in our kids very much because they are given to us to reveal <laughs> the reality of what's, what resides in us. Amen. Are you in Second Chronicles 26? Ah, Uzziah was a good king. Um, look over in verse 7, 26, 7. God helped him against the Philistines and against the uh, Arabians uh, who lived such and such. Verse 8, uh, the Ammonites also gave tribute to Uzziah, and his fame, his fame extended to the border of Egypt, for he became very strong. Look at verse 15. 
verse 15, the very end of verse 15. Hence his fame spread afar, for he was marvelously helped until he was strong. Verse 16 says, but when he became strong, his heart was what? Ah, there's a pride. How was that manifested? That's my whole point. Um, verse 16, continue reading. And he was unfaithful to the Lord his God, for he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Then Azariah the priest entered after him, and when he had, and with him, 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men. And they opposed the king, Uzziah the king. And they said to him, It's not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests and the sons of Aaron who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful and will have no honor from the Lord God. And who can tell a king something like that? Look at verse 19. But Uzziah, with a censer in his hand for burning incense, was enraged. It's a strong word there. That's why it's translated that way. He was, he was angry. Who are you two? My, my, God be so good to him, then get so proud, and then it be revealed in his life in anger. It's a true uh, reality that wisdom is slow to anger, and we need God's help with that. Can you just say amen to that? We could just spend a whole hour on that, but um, let's move on to verse 10. Verse 10, another do not say. Do not say, why is it that the former days were better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask about this. Do not say this. As we get older, we often get nostalgic, do we not? Hey, remember when gas was under a dollar and hamburgers were 19 cents at the McDonald's in Dubuque, Iowa? I'm telling you, they were. They were. I know you think that was 1864, but it wasn't. Okay? But we can get into the good old days. Somebody has well said, oftentimes the good old days were a lot more old than they were really good. And he's saying, don't live in the past. Don't be doing that. We, other verses we can look at for, in just a moment. Um, remember, uh, yeah, um, it's not from wisdom, he says. It's not from wisdom. One writer says, our... Uh, um, this is a contribution to, to talk this way is a contribution of a bad memory and, and a good imagination. Uh, pastor made known to me uh, just a reminder of that with reference to Numbers chapter 11 when Israel was complaining about everything and they talked about, remember back when we were in Egypt and we had this food and that food and this food. And it's like, oh, we were on vacation in Egypt. No, you were not. You were not. You were slaves. But oh, how we can do so. MacArthur has a one volume. It's Have Your Wife Carry It. It's really huge, okay? But in that one volume, he says, in the midst of trouble and discontent in life, it's easy to lose touch with reality. Often we speak of the good old days because we are blind to the good things of the present and we ignore and we are ignorant of the past. Good statement, isn't it? So to be wise then is to learn from the past, right? But not live in the past. And the Apostle Paul gives us good counsel concerning that in Philippians 3, does he not? Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, 
forgetting what lies behind and reach forward to what is, lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And in that context, it was to know him and the power of his resurrection. He's talking about the race of knowing more of Christ and Christ-likeness. And he says this, that's what you ought to focus upon. If anybody could have, could have dwelt and get stuck in the mud of the past, it could have been Paul. But Paul said, no, this is by the guiding work of the Spirit, says we need to press on to maturity. And that certainly should be true of all of us. And that's wisdom from this particular proverb, is it not, right? Then verse 11, now he's just telling us wisdom along with an inheritance is good and an advantage to those who see the sun. For wisdom is protection, just as money is protection, but the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of its possessors. So wealth is not bad, but the greatest wealth we can have is wisdom. Wisdom is our supreme wealth. It is true wealth. 13 through verse 15. But first, I think, yes, J. Phillips has a good uh, comment about that particular verse. He says, an inheritance without wisdom can end up like the parodical, <laughs> prodigal, sorry. That's, she probably looked at my spelling right there, okay? I don't think that's how you spell prodigal, is it? Okay, just double check there. Without wisdom can end like the prodigal son who, what do you do? He squandered it all. An inheritance with wisdom brings thoughtful use of it. Wisdom is better than a generous inheritance. Money can lose its value or be stolen, but true wisdom keeps its value and cannot be lost. Unless we become fools and abandon it deliberately. The person who has wealth but lacks wisdom will only waste his fortune, but the person who has wisdom will know how to get and use his wealth. We could add to the glory of God. Amen? So what, what is our... And I just... Oh, you just want to cry out with the reality of this with reference to, to our youth, to our, to our young people as well. Gain this with all that you're worth. And then we think about that verse that we've come back to many times in the book of Mark 8, 36. And it relates everything to do with wealth. It says, what profit a man if he what? Gain the whole world and loses what? So that's the greatest benefit of wisdom is that wisdom begins with the fear of God as is the very beginning and a relationship with him. Now, verse 13 through verse 15. And I divided this up, and when we get to verse, verse 13 and following, I, I, in my outline, this was wisdom about God. When we get over into verse, um, verse 20, uh, I kind of switch to with reference to the verses there about wisdom that we want to understand about man or about ourselves. But there's nothing better for us to understand wisdom with reference to God. And verse 13, uh, Solomon's wisdom is to do just that. So look at it with me, and I want to read through verse 15, because I see them fitting together, all three of them. So what does he say? Consider the work of God. For who is able to straighten what he and it should be a capital H there. What he has bent, or uh, some of our translations might say what is crooked, um, 
in the day of prosperity. Now, what is he talking about? Because, you know, that, he's talking metaphorically there, right? We get that so often. He's using some idea to present a truth here. So he's asking this question. Consider the word, who is able, it's a question, to straighten what he has bent. Now, what's he talking about? Let's look at verse 14. gives us light on this. In the day of prosperity, be happy, but in the day of adversity. Now, there's the bent. There's the bent right there. In the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other. Why? So that man may not discover anything about what be after him, or in other words, that he will not know, but God knows is the idea that we come to there. So, ESV says, what he hath, yeah, made crooked. So the question is, what are you to consider? You can consider, well, here's the best way that I've seen to state it for us in a paraphrase, okay? You, you should consider who can change what God has sovereignly decreed to occur in one's life. And when he talks crooked here, based upon or bent, in verse 14, he's talking about not only prosperity, but he's talking also about what? Adversity and difficulty um, in one's life. Um, there's a man by the name of Thomas Boston, and he is uh, kind of lumped in with the Puritans, although he's a little bit later than that. Uh, he lived from 1676 to 1732. Uh, his dad was a Presbyterian uh, minister, but he didn't see much of him because he was one of those who protested the common book of prayer that was required of the churches at that time by the king to have to read or have to use, and, and he, as a protester, was put in prison. So much of the time that he saw his father, his father he would go with his mother to see his dad who was in prison. Later on, he became a pastor and was married and sought to have a family and more than one of the children. I kept trying to find how many, maybe you can find that out, but more than one of the children died um, very early. And that was a great, great hardship upon him as it would be for anyone. And based upon this verse it drove him to do, uh, by the way, uh, Jonathan Edwards says that this uh, man, Thomas Boston, is one of the most brilliant men that he ever knew of. And I don't know of anybody more brilliant than Jonathan Edwards. Um, but Thomas, he, he wrote a number of books. But one of his books is based upon that particular verse, The Crook and the Lot. Now, a subtitle here is What to Believe When Our Lot in Life is Not Health, Wealth, and Happiness. But that's not the original subtitle. The original subtitle is The Crook in the Lot. The original subtitle is The Sovereignty and Wisdom of God Displayed in the Afflictions of Men. Now let me read that again. And by the way, I've not read this, but Pastor has. And it is a long read, as are so many of the Puritans. Beneficial, but a long one. And I want to give you just his subpoints in, in dealing with this for our advantage. The Sovereignty and Wisdom of God displayed in the afflictions of men. And he takes three basic propositions flowing from the verse and beyond there in that whole topic of God's sovereignty and our suffering in life. 
First one is this, three basic propositions. I should have it on the overhead, but I didn't. I'm sorry for that. He says, whatever crook or bent there is in one's life, it is of God's making. Not an accident. It is of God's making. If he be sovereign, that be true. Amen? And it reminds us of that he's sovereign in these things. God ordained suffering. His second proposition is what God has ordained, we shall not be able to mend it in and of ourselves. In other words, he says you're not going to change it and you're not going to fix it or be able to handle it in and of yourself. You need help with that. You need God's help. His third proposition is this. The crook then, which is your lot in life, Consider it as the work of God, as a proper means to bring you to behave properly under it. Or in other words, this is for your, and he talks about this, to, for your humbling to bring you under the mighty hand of God. Do you know Peter? He tells you to come under the mighty hand hand of God. And then he tells you how to do that. Cast all of your what? Upon him. Why? For he cares for you. Yeah. And he's reminding us, this is of God. You're not going to change that. It is for you to come under the mighty hand of God to gain the benefit of it. And when we think of affliction, we think of the cross, the great affliction to redeem sinners like us. Amen? But we also think about a book in the Bible. What is it? Another book. Job. When we think about Job, I mean, there's others that certainly talk about affliction. But do we not also think about, about Job? And uh, that's not Job. That's Charles Swindoll. But he's got a good statement. Then I want to go to Job. He says, God balances our lives by giving us enough blessings to keep us happy and enough burdens to keep us humble. Amen? That kind of says it all, doesn't it? Hmm. But we don't choose. We don't choose. God is sovereign in these things. So, Job. We could turn there, but it's on the overhead. And Satan went out from the presence of the Lord by permission from God and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Now just think about that for a moment. Just think about that. You talk about suffering. And he took a potsherd to scrape himself, the oozing out of these boils, while he was sitting among the ashes. By the way, how does the book of Job start telling us about Job? It starts by telling us he's God's kind of man. His wife did not have the gift of encouragement. Amen? Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity, curse God, and die? Because, and it's throughout the book of Job, isn't it? You must have done something wrong for God to be doing this to you. He's punishing you. Totally unbiblical thinking, but common to the world and to us if we don't think biblically. Right? It always, affliction isn't always that we've done something wrong. By any means, it's often we've done something right. We're growing. And God says, here comes the next level of growth, and I'm going to put it in a package of affliction. Hmm. Well, finish it, Kevin, right? But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed, 
Now, now I want you to join me. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? And amazing to me, in all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now he, he, he asked, he, he, Lord, what's going on here? I mean, he was hurt. Um, but amazing, amazing. Um, what a response. What a response. In the day of prosperity, be happy. No problem there. We can do that. But in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other. And the God who is in charge of these things, who rules that sovereignty, he rules all the affairs of every detail of his world. And we are still responsible for our choices and obedience. And both are true. Both are true. Are they not? What it was like for Job. Hmm. Uh, I've, I've got a quote by James Boyce. It's not on the overhead. But James Boyce says this, Be alert to the goodness of God's sovereign will. Now notice, be alert to the goodness of God's sovereign will. If you could change what God has done, then it wouldn't be as good. You would only make it worse. Remember his love for you on a crooked cross. Trust our Heavenly Father to straighten out everything in his own good time. Amen, Dr. Boyce. Thank you. Hmm. Little long, but helpful. It is still true that there is nothing we can do to strengthen out what God is, what is crooked. We can change what God has done. We cannot change what God has done unless and until he, has, he wants to change it. We do not have the power to edit God's agenda, but far from driving us to despair, the sovereignty of God gives us hope through all the trials of life. We do suffer the frustrations of life in a fallen world, but the Bible promises us that God has a plan to set us free from all this futility and that he carries out this plan. He is working all things together for our good. There's our Romans 8 passage, right? Trusting in the sovereign goodness of God helps us know how to respond to both the joys and the trials of life. Whether we're having a good day or a bad day, there is always some way for us to glorify God. So the preacher says, in the day of prosperity, be joyful, and in the day of adversity, consider this. That's verse 14. God has made the one as well as the other. This perspective puts today and every day under the sovereignty of God. Second part of this long quote, but I thought so helpful, and please notice the end of it. When we entrust every day of our lives to the loving care of a sovereign God, then we will be ready for anything and everything that life throws at us. In his comments on this verse, Martin Luther advised, enjoy the things that are present in such a way that you do not base your confidence on them as though they were going to last forever, but reserve part of our heart for God so that with it we can bear the day of adversity. Whatever trials we have in life, it will help us to go through them with Jesus at our side. If we are wise, we will offer whatever joys we experience back to God in thanksgiving. This is all part of what it means to consider the work of God. The preacher is telling us to do something more than simply see what God has done. 
Here it is. He is telling us to accept what God has done and surrender to his will, praising him for all our prosperity and trusting him through every adversity. Amen? That's not a great quote. Amen. Not only praising him and trusting him, what does James say right at the beginning of the book of James? Count it all joy. And the reason you can is because of the word knowing. You know that God is producing patient endurance in your life. He is working to your good and your benefit. You might have to preach this back uh, to me, and we certainly need to preach it to one another, do we not? Amen? Hmm. So I've seen everything during my lifetime of futility. I mean, <laughs> the whole chapter 8, I mean, it's just coming back to this all over again. And um, I'm just kind of thinking, wow, how am I going to make this better? So I thought, I, w- I, w- I was thinking about giving it to Marshall next week um, because I saw it was going to be kind of hard to just break it all down again. Marshall, you ready if I give it to you? <laughs> he was, I didn't see real, let me add it <laughs> right there. I know you always are, brother. I know you always are. But it's back to this thing. I've seen everything during my lifetime. There's a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. There's a wicked man who prolongs his life in his wickedness. There's still things in life you will never be able to figure out on your own. That's why you need to trust God and grow in understanding his character. He's all wise. He's all good. He is infinite in wisdom. We are finite in our wisdom. So we trust him, and we grow in the character of understanding what he is like in his character, and that just strengthens the reality of our trust in him. So verse 16, 17, and 18 together, likewise, I'm going to read. Do not be excessively righteous and do not be overly wise, what? Why should you ruin yourself? Now, this is one of those, you've got you to hammer out here a little bit. Do not be excessively wicked and do not be a fool. I get that one real clear. I don't need to study that one very much because the Bible says there's a way which seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. So don't, wicked, wickedness is going to cost you, right? Why should you die before your time? Verse 18, is good that you grasp one thing and also not let go of the other. For the one who fears God comes forth with both of them. Now, one of the helps that we have just looking at the text here, particularly in verse 16, we would take that at face value. And when Solomon is saying, don't be too righteous and don't have too much wisdom, we would know there must be something more here because we can certainly... We have a righteousness in our position in Christ, but we can certainly make better choices, and we must certainly grow in our wisdom. Amen? But one of the things, and I'll give you a quote that kind of supports this. You know, some, some people will say what we're talking about here is kind of be balanced in life, but that's, that's not real good exposition here because the Bible's not telling you don't be too good and don't be too bad. The Bible doesn't say that. So what's going on? One of the things that we learned in Hebrew, if we learned it, um, in Hebrew class, uh, pastor, is that we learned there are, is it seven different Hebrew verb forms? I got it right? And one of the Hebrew verb forms for us is what's called reflexive. And the idea of the reflexive verb is that 
Well, when you look into a mirror, what does it do? It gives you back an image of yourself. And the idea of the verb here in verse 16 is reflective in the sense of we could say, I could paraphrase it this way, and then let me give you a good quote that really helps us understand it likewise. He's saying, don't be excessively self, if I would paraphrase it, self-righteous or excessively full of your own wisdom. Why should you ruin yourself with that? At at the same time, he says, don't be excessively, excessively wicked. In fact, I think I'll get to Wiersbe, that helps us, reminds us the very fact of what I'm trying to say here. In the Hebrew text, the verb in verse 16 carries the idea of reflective action. Solomon said to the people, don't claim to be righteous and don't claim to be wise. In other words, he was warning, warning them against self-righteousness and the pride that comes when we think we have arrived and know it all. Solomon made it clear in verse 20 that there are no righteous people. So he cannot be referring to true righteousness He was condemning the self-righteousness of the hypocrite and the false wisdom of the proud. And he warned that these sins lead to their destruction and death, or they lead to that. That's at 14.12. Verse 18 balances the warning we should take hold of true righteousness and we should not withdraw from true wisdom. And the way to do it, the way to do it is at the end of verse 18. Do not let go of either one of these, for the one who what? Fears God comes with both of them. So, verse 18, balance the warning. We should take hold of true righteousness and should not withdraw from true wisdom. And the way to do it is to walk in the fear of God, the fear of the Lord. Amen, again, is the beginning of wisdom. That makes exegetical sense to me. And um, Wiersbe and others agree with me, so they must be right, because they agree with me, okay? But you know what? He balances this out. (laughs) He balances this out. Well, let's go to verse 19 first, okay? Wisdom strengthens a wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city, and I got nothing to say about that. It says it for itself. If that be at all true, do you believe the Bible is true? Then God help me to grow in wisdom. And as a parent and a grandfather, help me, help me to impart wisdom and to cultivate wisdom in your children, your grandchildren. Do you want a wisdom assi- assignment with your children? I heard it. It was silent, but I heard it. You said, yes, yes. Do this, do this. And you got something else going on, praise God. Maybe you're thinking about the new year way ahead of time, thinking what would we do as a family? Do this. Everyone in the family that's able to read, you know, I understand younger children, but they can sit and they can listen when you have your lunch together or you have dinner or the times you're together as a family. And everybody read the proverb, read the proverb corresponding to the day of the month. And everybody in the family who reads it, pick out a verse that stands out to you. Pick out a verse. Pick out a verse and just write it. Why'd you pick it? Just write a thought about it. And then when you get together as a family, Everybody share. What verse did you pick? Why did you pick that one? Well, Daddy, it says don't be a fool. I don't want to be a fool. Amen. You don't have to be a long discussion, but do that. And then do that the next day corresponding to the next day of the month, and do it for about three or four months. And just talk about it as a family. Wow, look what God's Word says there. 
Or what does that mean? And everybody in the family gets to convey something of what they're gaining, and they're reading the Word of God with purpose by looking for something to convey. And the kids can contribute. Isn't that a great plan? It is mine. But isn't that a great plan? For, with reference to, to your children, uh, if you're looking for something to do as just a wisdom quest together as, as a family. Wisdom strengthens a wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. Wow. Verse 20 gets us back to reality. Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and who never <laughs> sins. You're back to the reality of mankind. Keeps us wise to the fact that we need, need wisdom because we are. We are what we are. We are still, we still have a main problem. Right? Amen? It's our neighbor. Amen? So we've got a main problem. No, the heart of the problem is the problem of our own heart. Amen? So, in verse 21 and 22, um, 21 22, I believe he gives us good examples of the fact that we are all sinners. Also, do not take seriously all words which are spoken that you will not hear your servant cursing you. Why? For you also have realized that you likewise have many times cursed others. Woo! I think I'm in the range of about 10 years old. I had a playmate that was about half a block away. So growing up at that time, we were always together, either at my house or at my backyard or his house, his backyard. I always play on ever doing stuff together. And I'm at his house one time, and while we're, I don't remember what we were doing, I just remember his mother saying how wonderful it was for his, her son to have me as his friend and what a good boy I was. And yeah, I heard all that very clearly, right? She's telling me all these wonderful things about how good we play together and everything else. Then I remember that the uh, siren went off because in our little town at 12 noon all the time, a siren would go off and remind everybody it's lunchtime. And then she said to me, hey, there's, uh, there's the uh, siren. It's, you need to go home now for your lunch. And so I went out. I remember going out the back because we were near the back porch. I went out the back porch and walked around the side of the house, and the windows were open, and I heard... I heard the mother say, do you have to have him over here all the time? (laughs) I was crushed. I was crushed. Because never in my life, ever since then, have I ever spoken ill of anyone. You believe that? What a... (laughs) Didn't take you long to answer that. (laughs) What a warning to watch how we speak of others. Amen? What a warning. What a warning. God help us to speak well of others, even trying to speak of others when they're not there in a way that you would speak if they were. Mm. What a warning. Well, verse 23 through 25 I tested all this with wisdom, and I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. What has been is remote and and exceedingly mysterious. Who who can discover it? I directed my mind to know, to investigate, and to seek wisdom and explanation, and to know the evil of folly and the foolishness of madness. Now, what is he doing again? He's conveying to us again, wisdom comes short to understanding everything. Um, Wisdom is the most valuable virtue all of life. It is your 
it is your protection in life, but it must be married to trust in the God who is all wise. Been saying that, haven't I? Um, Gibson says this in his book, wisdom is what we need more than anything, but there are things we cannot fully comprehend. We can know so many things God has revealed to us, but we cannot know all things completely. Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to who? Belong to God. So let me read that again. So many things God has revealed to us, everything we need to know, but we cannot know all things completely, but God does, so trust him. There it is. And we're going to see he just keeps coming back to that in chapter 8 and verse 9 as well, reminding us. See, it's the reminder to us continually, we need God's wisdom. We need to trust him. And if we don't, a lot of life is going to be perplexing to us, is it not? A lot of whys. And remember, at the end of the book of Job, Job's why turns to who? To God. And putting his hand over his mouth and realizing there are two absolute truths in life. There is a God and you're not him. So trust him. Amen? Hmm. Now, this is great because my wife has been saying continually, I can't wait till you get to verse 26 through 29, and I'm out of time. <laughs> this is perfect. <laughs> so I want to talk about this. I'm going to talk about those verses, but next time. Or leave them for Marshall. That would even be, that would even be better. Listen, we'll, we'll, get, we'll, we'll get to that. But let me close for today with this. Um, yeah, I want to get to this. Do you know who that guy is? Um, hey! Uh, no, it's the center for the Celtics in night. No, just kidding. <laughs> you got it. You got it, Marshall. Um, George Washington Carver, born in slavery, became a famous agricultural chemist and scientist. He is especially known for his work with the, with the with, with the peanut. Yeah. <laughs> Once he was invited to testify before a Senate committee, and there he was asked, Dr. Carver, how, do you, how did you learn all these things? He said, from an old book. What book? He said, the Bible. He was asked, does the Bible talk about peanuts? No, Mr. Senator replied, the great scientist, but it does tell me about God who made the peanut. And I asked him to show me what to do with it, and he did. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. When you're facing difficult issues and you don't know what to do, remember that you know Jesus. The wisdom of God, the particulars of your daily decision may not be found in God's word, but Christ will always be found abiding there with you. And he will give you what you need through his Holy Spirit, who brings God's word and our hearts together. The least of the saints have more wisdom in Christ than the most ingenious scientist possesses without him. Let me close this in prayer. Father, thank you for the wisdom that we've covered from your word today. Bring it to bear upon our lives, our hearts. Let us hunger for it. 
Job said he desired your word more than his necessary food. That's what he needed more than anything else. And we have the benefit of hearing that. So thank you for the bread of life in the word of God and in the Christ to whom is our life. Bless our worship in the hour to come and we'll praise you for it. We want to do that. We want to worship and praise you for it in Christ's name. And everyone said, amen. amen.